Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, we're going to go ahead and get into our message here, and we're in this series in Mark uh, called The Real Jesus, and today, today we're going to be talking about the real selflessness of Jesus. And I love the idea of talking about the real selflessness of Jesus, and, and I, want, I want you to just think about for a minute, have you ever been in a situation where somebody has come up to a group, and they've asked a question that was just embarrassing, you put your, your head in your hand, and you're like, oh, I can't watch this, what this person's talking about. And it's like you, you, you want to look away, but you're like, I can't, it's too interesting. And so you have this, maybe a situation where a, a lady's talking about her upcoming wedding. And, and you're, you're all excited talking about it with her. And somebody comes from across the room and has overheard it and is like, I am so excited for your wedding. I am, I am so excited to come for it. I don't know what the date is. I'd like to get it on my calendar. Could you, could you, when, when are you going to send out the invites? And the lady's like, oh, I, I sent it like two months ago. And then it gets more embarrassing because the ladies, the other person's like, oh, I think I lost, it got lost in the mail. Could you resend it? And then you got to, it's like, well, sure. And then just walk away from the conversation. Like these kinds of conversation moments are just hard. Same thing, like if you go to the wedding and you start looking for your name at the front area, front table. Like, where's my name? It's got to be up here. And then you keep walking all the way to the back. And that's where it is. That's why Jesus told a story about it. Like you start at the back and you work your way forward, right? Um, I think another situation with weddings that can be embarrassing, every single time it seems like they're about to get married, who do they go to? They, go, they would go to the senior pastor, the real one. And so I got stuck never getting to do any marriage ceremonies. So now kids start dating each other, and they're like two weeks in, I'm like, hey, can I do your ceremony if you get married? I know, I know it's messed up. But I, I just want to be a part of it, guys. It's embarrassing, though. I get it. And we get in these embarrassing situations. When people overassume their place in somebody's life, it can be really hard to watch. There's this lack of selflessness and, and maybe this overestimation in what, what our position is in somebody's life. Uh, maybe you've been in a group of friends where you, it's a really tight group of friends and somebody comes in to that conversation and they've, they've bombarded the conversation and they've started to make it all about themselves. You ever been in that situation? That's a real fun one. And all of a sudden, you're looking around with the friends that you know really well, and you're like, you're giving each other the eye contact. Girls are better at this, the eye contact. Like, you guys, I don't know how you do it. It's impressive. You know what everybody's ta- thinking. Those guys will be like, oh, you know what? I just forgot. I got to go help with this thing over there. And then one of them's like, yeah, I got to go with you. And all of a sudden, the whole group of you is outside playing disc golf. And girls, sometimes you're like, I don't get that. You do get it. It's why 16 of you go to the bathroom together. It's called the getaway. All right? You guys, we all know what this one's about. See, no, nobody wants to be the person that everybody is getting away from. But it happens. And it even happens in the Bible. Sometimes people say things in Mark. Um, sometimes selflessness goes out the window when we lose track of our self-awareness. If we are aware of our surroundings and how we sound to people, it's a lot easier for us to, to kind of push away some of that self-centeredness and be a little bit more selfless. 
And so we're looking at being selfless today and, and looking at it, what does Jesus say when I'm not being selfless? What's his reaction to me? And we're going to see that in this story. And so the story starts in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Again, like all of these ones in Mark, it's a little bit longer. So listen up. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's what I think of every time I hear that one. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can I drink? Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit in my right hand or, or, or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who, regarded, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this story, it is, it is more about the selflessness of Jesus than it is about the self-centeredness of these two dudes. But I'm telling you, the self-centeredness of these two guys in this, in this passage, this idea of denying ourselves. He talks about this. He says, this is the true self-denial to which our Savior calls us. The acknowledgement that self has nothing good in it except as an empty vessel for God to fill. I wish James and John would have, would have realized that they were this empty vessel for God to fill, that they, there was nothing special in them except what God put in them. Maybe it would have changed the way that they came to Jesus and asked this question. Unfortunately, I think we see ourselves a little bit in this story. We see ourselves in the questioning that James and John give to Jesus right here. Maybe they weren't thinking clearly. I, I hope that they weren't thinking clearly when they came to Jesus with this question. You see, Jesus has been telling them some really terrifying stuff. And it's not like this is the first time that Jesus has ever talked about his death. We've talked about it before in the, in the book of Mark. It's like these guys just don't get it. Jesus has talked about his death over and over and over again, and they still just, something doesn't click in their brains of what's going to happen. It's like they think he's telling another parable. But something is feeling different for these guys right now. And so in verse 32 it said, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. I find it interesting the word getting used here is astonished. Why would, why would they be astonished? And the, the Greek word that's actually used here that's translated astonished is thembeo. What does that mean? It means astonished with kind of a terrorized mindset to it. Like it's more than just oh, astonished. It's like, oh, and I want to run away astonished, terrorized. 
That's what's going on. Why would they be astonished? What do they have to be afraid of? They are with Jesus. It's like when I'm with my daughters and they're scared at night and I'm like, I'm here. Look at me. What's, what's going to happen? And they're probably like, uh, I'm stronger than you, Daddy. Okay, sure. I got really strong legs, guys. I could kick them. And the story that we came out before this one is, I think, part of the reason why they're, why they're astonished, why they're terrorized. You see, the story that we talked about says, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions, give away everything, then come follow me. And it freaked that guy out. But it didn't just freak him out. I think it freaked out all of Jesus' followers. They no longer know what the rules are. Jesus was ruffling feathers. They didn't know what it took anymore for, for them, what they could trust in, in order to get them to heaven. It wasn't their religious duties anymore that was the thing that was going to get them where they wanted to go. Doing all the right things last week seemed like it was all they needed to do, and now it's like, ah, oh, there's something, I don't, I don't know all the rules. They thought that they knew the rules of who gets in and how, but they don't. And there's something that drives our anxiety when that's the case. When you think you know how to get in, but you don't. Uh, I think it was on Friday. I, was, I drove to the office, and I get to the office, and I, I'm, I'm digging around, and I didn't bring my keys with me to get into the office. And I started to get this anxiety in me. The first anxiety was, do I have to drive all the way home? It's like five minutes, guys. And this anxiety is just, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, do I have to break in a window so I don't have to drive home? Like, what? And then it dawned on me, we've got a lockbox in the back. I just got to go back there, guys. And it's almost like these guys, these disciples, James and John, they were so freaked out that they didn't realize the easy access to Jesus that they actually had. They wanted to place themselves in a certain way a little bit more. So they began these self-preserving kinds of ideas. They started thinking in self-preserving, self-centered kinds of ways. And so here's the, the first lesson, I think, on selflessness that Jesus teaches to his disciples, and I think he teaches it to us here. Selflessness starts with tuning into what Jesus is saying and to hearing his voice over all the other noise in life. Selflessness starts with listening to Jesus and hearing him out. See, I'm guessing that, that James and John, they were struggling to hear the stuff that Jesus was saying. So much is going on in their heads, and, and as he's talking to them, they're starting, like, they're just kind of swimming in their thoughts over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him and just step over to the Gentiles who will mock him, who will spit on him, who will flog him, who will kill him. And just stop right there. Everything that Jesus has said right there is bad. And these guys, they've got to be thinking, uh, I can't handle this. Jesus, everything that you're saying right now, I want, not, I want nothing of that for you. And I think it's easy for us to stop listening in that moment. I can imagine that the disciples, James and John, they started thinking of all of the things that they wanted to say in response to Jesus. No, Jesus, you're not going to go do that. We saw Peter do that. He, he had gone and told, told Jesus at one point, like, Jesus, don't say that you're going you're gonna to die. That's the time when Jesus is like, uh, get behind me, Satan. Kind of harsh. But they're thinking of everything that they can say to Jesus, and they missed 
probably the very last thing that he said. Verse 43, the last part of it. Jesus said, three days later, he, the Son of Man, Jesus, me, three days later, the Son of Man will rise. So what is tuning into Jesus and hearing him out? Why does it lead us to selflessness? It's because no matter how messed up your life gets, no matter how awful the path is that you feel like Jesus has set you on the course for, no matter what the end result, if we listen to Jesus to the end, it's going to be victory. If we tune Jesus out too soon, though, we'll never get to that victory. We'll never be given the reason for why we think it's worthwhile to think of ourselves as less and to think more about his mission. If I am listening to Jesus and I'm hearing all this stuff that I don't really like, it's going to be really, really easy for me to not hear the part at the end where he essentially says, three days later I'm going to rise. See, at the end of everything that he tells us, at the end of everything that he asks us to do, he's got at the end of there, three days later I'm going to rise. There's always a hope at the end of what he's asking from us. James and John didn't wait for that. They weren't willing to listen, listen to him out. So now maybe you can excuse James and John. They're, they're going through a stressful time. They can, they can sense that something is about to happen. They maybe don't understand that Jesus is saying he's going to die and that they think it's a, a different story. But as they're walking into Jerusalem, they can... You just know when you walk into a room and you can sense something's different. I think these guys sense that. So maybe you can excuse them. But what happens is... These guys ask Jesus with undoubtedly the most obnoxious, annoying question that I've read in the Bible in all of, in all of the text of the Bible. There is nothing more obnoxious than what they ask in just a second here. It says in verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Can you just, I love Jesus. Like, in this part, he's like, oh, yeah, what do you guys want me to do for you? Just patronizing. You know, like, as a parent, I, I do that with my kids. What do you want me to do for you that costs a billion dollars? Ain't going to happen, kid. And then they reply to him, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. I can't even go on when I read this half the time. The gall of these two guys. It's not even the question to me about them wanting to sit in glory on, their, on Jesus' right and left-hand side. It's that they said, we want you to do whatever we want, whatever we ask of you. I got a seven-year-old kid who if they ask that, I'd be like, mm, you ain't getting it. It could be like, I want water today. And if she had asked it at the start of, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. Give me water. I'd be like, you're going thirsty today. Like, there's just that annoying quality in it, right? Jesus goes ahead and he, he, it's like, what do you want? I think I've said this before in the book of Mark. This verse actually, sh it gives me all the proof I need to know that everything that Mark is writing in this, in this gospel is true. Because there is no way that Mark would make himself and his friends look this dumb if it didn't really happen. I believe that the gospel is true. But now maybe, maybe I'm being a little harsh here. Um, again, these guys are scared. They feel like change is coming. They feel like something's about to go down and they're, they're not really ready for it and they're anxious. They know it's not going to be enjoyable. 
And maybe you've acted foolishly in a moment. What was about to happen and so you acted foolishly. I can think of all the times when I was, I was dating the girl who I ended up married, marrying. And I wanted to, to marry her about three months into dating her when I was 16 years old. And I can think of all the times that I acted like an absolute moron in jealousy because a guy looked at her. Like, I, remember, I, I still am angry at one dude who like put a play on for her while we were dating. He's like married and got kids and I'm still mad at him when I see his picture. This is gets under my skin. Acted like a fool so many times because I didn't see the end game coming. If I could look at it, if I could go back then and know what I know now that like she likes me enough to marry me and have four kids with me, then I probably wouldn't have acted like I did in all the rage and jealousy and insecurity. Now you and I, when we read this, this gospel and G what Jesus says here, whether it's about his upcoming death or the hope that he gives to people, we see what Jesus is doing and we see it super straightforward. We, we know what's about to come in the life of Jesus in just a little bit, but the disciples here, they don't, they don't see that. So they got a little bit of anxiety. And so what happens is they began to position themselves for the end game. Jesus, we want you to do whatever, whatever we ask. We want you to do it for us. We want to sit on your right and left hand side in glory. See how they lost a little bit of trust and so what's happened is they started to position themselves for the end game. And I'm telling you, when we position ourselves for the end game, that's dangerous. I think that another lesson that we get here is that selflessness never includes positioning yourself for the end game. If you want to be selfless, we got to not position ourselves. We, we find ourselves positioning... For, for, for things in life all the time, I think. Whether it's with God. Like, hey God, I, I, I've, I've, been doing this, I've been doing this thing pretty good. You're pretty happy with me, right? Or whether it's with people. Man, I think we position ourselves for the end game with people all the time. We're thinking about ourselves and not about them. That's what was happening in, in a lot of times in my relationship with Crystal when we were dating. Constantly trying to position myself for this end game, not worried about her feelings, but worried about Wanting her to give me this, this yes, this is where we're going to be for us. Maybe we need to, need to pray more about two things. These two things are this. Pray for God to help us trust when we don't see the way forward. Okay, God, I don't see what's going to happen. Can you, can you just help me to trust? Or maybe we need to pray for this. Pray for God to help us see what he's going to do so that we don't have to always wait until we have hindsight vision. Now, that sounds weird. Like, but I think sometimes God may actually, if we say, God, I need to understand where you're going to take this so that I can act with sanity right now. Almost as though I, I'm looking at it from, from the future. Now, I don't know if God's going to do that all the time. But I think sometimes God can give us discernment in a way where maybe we don't see exactly how it's going to happen, but God, you've given me enough reason to see that I can trust you so I can stop positioning myself for this endgame. I don't have to be like James and John and try to, try to get what is mine, what I want to be mine, that I can trust that you're going to take me to the place that you ultimately want me to be. See, James and John got scared. And so in their fear, they tried to look out for number one. That's what oftentimes happens. Now, they asked Jesus if they could sit on his 
right and left-hand side. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's the worst thing in the world, wanting to be close to Jesus. That's not so bad, right? They want to be close to Jesus in heaven. Great. We should all want to be close to Jesus. But I think it was about more than just wanting to be close to Jesus. See, there's another story, and I actually referred to it a little bit earlier on, uh, that Jesus told this parable about some people that, that went to a wedding. And what did they do when they went to the wedding? They went and they sat at the front table, right next to the bride and groom. They sat, sat themselves there. They were feeling good about themselves. Why did they sit themselves there? They sat themselves there so that everybody would see that they were close to the bride and groom. But they weren't as close to the bride and groom as they thought. And so somebody more important came and, and said, hey, I'm sorry, these seats are taken for people that are more important to the bride and groom. I got a seat for you. And he walked him all the way to the back. And you can... Maybe James and John, maybe they innocently wanted to sit close to Jesus. But in the context of this whole conversation that we've been reading, it gets me thinking that they actually, they wanted to be seen as close to Jesus more than they wanted to be close to Jesus. Wanting to be seen as close to Jesus is a whole different story than wanting to be close to Jesus. These are two totally different things. Can I be honest for a minute? I, there are times where I want to be in a leadership position to be seen to be in a leadership position. I don't always want to be in a leadership position to make people's lives better. And, and I feel icky saying that. But it's 100% true for, probably for a lot of us. We like the position. We like to be seen. But to be selfless people, it has to be different for us than that. And this is where Jesus, I think, takes on this third lesson that I, I think we can get from this passage about selflessness. And that's this. Selflessness requires thinking of greatness in a way that is completely contradictory to how the rest of the world views greatness. I want to read this passage, the end of the passage, and what Jesus talks about greatness. Because it is, it is completely different from what our culture sees. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what Jesus, I think, is saying. Specifically to James and John, I think this is what he's saying. I think we can take something from it. I think he's saying this. Greatness isn't you getting to sit by me so that everyone can see you sit by me. Greatness, that is what greatness looks like. Greatness is taking myself and throwing it by the wayside. It's not about me being seen as everything that I want to be seen as, as a Christian or as a, as a, as a person in my job, as, as a father, as a whatever it is. Greatness is not about me being seen, but it's about doing whatever I can to step in the place of servanthood to help others get to sit close to, the, to that precious spot. And I get to be happy seeing that happen. That's what selflessness is. Greatness is selflessness. And selflessness is great. And the only way to that, the only way to being great like Jesus is talking about is for us to become servants. It's one of the hardest things that we can do. But the best news of all is that Jesus is not asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. Jesus stepped into this world and he, 
was the ultimate one of giving over himself for the people around him. He didn't do anything so that people could look at him. I mean, we're talking about the creator of the world stepping into this world, and I think about how he was even just born into this world, in a stable next to smelly animals. I don't even like clean animals. I'm serious. My sister actually got a golden retriever puppy this week, and it's like the only dog I've ever liked so far. It's super cute. But most of them, they stink. I don't want to be around them. Jesus came into this world, was born in a stable next to smelly animals. His greatness was that he was willing to become despised, to be hated, to be rejected by people, all for a greater cause. He gave up his glory so that we could now receive glory. And so he chose to die for you and me so that you and I could be able to live free from the consequences of sin. And I, I want to s- s- use this statement from F.B. Meyer about this. He says, The only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. You want to become a selfless person? The only way that happens is if Christ increases in your mind, in your heart, in the way that you live your life, in how you act. Is Christ increasing in you or are you increasing in you? So I think the real thing that this this whole passage points us to is this question. Is my others straight back at me, look at me, or am I pointing people to Jesus in whatever I'm doing? I know I'm super guilty a lot of times of being somebody who is wanting to get myself noticed rather than trying to make Jesus noticed. What does it look like to become this kind of servant of Jesus rather than a servant of yourself? What would it look like to serve his glory rather than serving your own glory? For some of you, maybe this is a time that, maybe it's time to step up and and choose to serve some way in the church. That might be a small part of what it looks like to become more the servant that God has called you to do, to be. We've got a really easy way to do it. You can go to centraljanesville.com slash serve. We've got a form there you can fill out. Um, if you're feeling like, yeah, I, I got to do something. Here's a start. Start to serve people at church. But I will say this. I think for some of us, it's a way deeper issue than just something we're going to do. It's about something that we need to get right in our hearts with God to become the servants that he wants us to be. It's not about a role you can take on. Maybe it's a, a, a heart, a deep heart issue that we need to get right. So in verse 39, James and John were so sure of the answer that they gave to Jesus. The question Jesus gave them was, can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink from? What he was asking was, can you die the way that I'm about to die? And they were sure. They said, we can do it. But if you're looking at the passage, I don't think they really knew what Jesus was asking. <laughs> he's asking, he's asking, can you drink from the cup? And, and I don't think they really understood what it was. It's like me sometimes, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing work with people in a garage. And someone would be like, hey, can you go grab this kind of wrench? I don't know what kind of wrench it is, guys. And so what I do is I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I start walking towards the toolbox. I hope I know where the toolbox is. I'm walking towards the toolbox and I'm sitting the whole time thinking, man, I hope they have the names on the wrenches. Because I have no clue what, what wrench I'm supposed to grab right now. No clue. And I get there and I'm looking around for a little bit and finally I have to humble myself. When it comes to serve, 
I don't know what it looks like to live my life for your glory rather than mine. I, like, I, I legit don't understand what even that would mean. Sometimes us preaching, it doesn't mean that we're going to give you the complete answer. Sometimes it means it's okay to go home and ask God, what does this look like in my life? He's calling us to be people that put him above ourselves. How does that look like in your life? It's okay not to know today, but over time, as we pray and we ask God, God, how do you want me? How do you want me to grow? How do you want me to give you glory rather than give myself glory? Show me what that looks like. I think as, as we take time to pray for that, God will show us what that looks like. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.